Welcome back to the Facts About PACS. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Adam Belmar. Great to be here, Michaela Isler, and boy, what a brisk September morning. Oh my gosh, this is my favorite time of year, Adam, and the whole week, every morning I wake up and that crisp breeze is just really nice, and it's really kind of helped out here at NAPAC. It's been a fantastic week, a very busy week at NAPAC, but we not only had our entire board in for some strategic planning and looking ahead at our organization and our mission and vision in the next three years, but this beautiful weather came in just in time to have almost 200 PAC professionals on our rooftop this week overlooking the Capitol and enjoying a beautiful sunset and just a great return to in-person with the fantastic community. What an important thing to be able to say here on this podcast that we brought all of the big, important board member players who could attend back in person together at NAPAC HQ. And I know that the people who attended the rooftop event love the weather, love the great company. And for some people, it was a, hey, I think NAPAC's right for me moment, huh? There was a lot of buzz and it was nice to just, you know, see a lot of familiar faces, but there were a lot of new faces too. And certainly look forward to getting to know many more in our community. It feels, Adam, like we are truly back to pre-pandemic norm, if you will. Well, one of those norms that we absolutely enjoy at NABPAC was how we started our week. We came together as a staff, as we do, for a team meeting. And of course, in that discussion of our wonderful colleagues, somebody suggested a topic that we should tackle on the podcast. Yes, she did. And it was our very own Amy Adams. For those of you that know Amy, she's the sort of the human at the business end of our NAPAC help hotline. And she suggested rightfully that taking a deep dive on how PAC managers can sharpen their communications right now would be a worthy exercise. It's something we get questions about on our hotline all the time, Adam. Yeah, worthy indeed, because the trick to getting your PAC communications razor sharp depends as much on what you shouldn't do as what you should. So don't turn that dial. Coming up in just a minute, expert advice from Rocky Krivijanski of Trine Strategies. The Facts About PACS podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Thanks, Adam. And joining us now is NAPAC's own strategic communication consultant, Rocky Krivijanski, founder, Trine Strategies. Welcome to the Facts About Packs podcast, Rocky. Thanks for having me. Longtime listener and happy to be here. Well, it's pretty nice to have you join this version of NABPAC Communications. It's your first go around with this podcast, but you're a really important part of all of the communicating that we do at NABPAC. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here, and I really am hoping we can share some actionable topics here that folks can use when they are trying to do their PAC communications. Well, Rocky, our listeners are ready to receive. So when it comes to sharpening PAC communications, what's the plan of attack? It's a great question, Michaela. And actually, I use that very term whenever I start doing any sort of communication project. I've been writing for two decades, and I always start a project with a plan of attack. And I really like that phrase because plan means you're actually preparing a strategy for how you're going to move forward. And attack is a strong action word that means you're proactively taking on the situation. So it's a great way to approach any communication. I agree, and I love this philosophy. So we want to break it down for folks and show them what the plan of attack can look like, Rocky. Yeah, so having the plan is essential before you start writing. So depending on what you're trying to write or who you're writing for, your plan can be a little bit different. 
but every plan should have four basic elements. The purpose of the communication, the intended audience or audiences you're trying to persuade or influence, the channels you're going to use to get that information to your audience, and the timeline in which you're going to execute your plan. So Rocky, can we, I mean, I like these four points that you bring about. And, you know, I think as pack managers, we really inherently know what the purpose is of our communications, but it's easier said than done, isn't it? It really is. And I like to go back to the why. What's the why? Um, There's a famous story that says that people buy the why, not the what. So when you're writing your communications, your why is always needs to be front and center with everything you do. So the purpose, obviously, ultimately, is to get people to give money to the pack. We all know that. But getting them there is often not just a direct welcome to the pack, give to the pack. The why is sometimes why should you care about the pack and what is it doing for your business that should make you interested in it? So as a practitioner, I love that you're talking about front and center because your plan of attack, whether you developed it already or it's something that needs to be reworked immediately, it's a document that you should be able to have front and center. You pull it back up. We're working on a new challenge or we're considering this question of how do we sharpen things up? So let's go back to our plan of attack, figure out the why of what this next communication is. And ultimately, you're now prepared to begin to conceive of how we can do it a little bit better. Is is that right? It is. And, uh, you know, I used to work uh, at the Department of Defense. And so that plan of attack was was very common for for the military folks I used to work with. And there was a common phrase that said, no, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Now, thankfully, we're not uh, dealing with enemies here in the PAC world. Well, not always, at least. Uh, but when we're talking internally to our audiences, we certainly might have to change up that plan based on who we're talking to or other external factors that are coming in. I love that analogy, Rocky. And I think too, when we think about both audiences and channels that you've outlined, those are so important because how you communicate to maybe a group of engineers versus how you communicate to a sales force, really, you need to be paying attention to the audience that you're speaking to and who is the messenger to those audiences. And then as well, you know, we have so many employees of our organizations that They may be emergency physicians. You know, they're not sitting at a desk all day. And so that audience and knowing who you're speaking to and then the channels that you're delivering have to be front and center. They really do. And we can get into this later when we talk about some of the tips for writing. But certainly being able to get the information in front of people in the way that they're most likely to consume it is an essential part of that plan of attack. If you're using the wrong channel, they're just not going to see it. It's like there's a joke about putting up billboards and the only place to put a billboard is in front of your opponent's house because they're going to see it every day and they're going to be annoyed by it. But no one else is looking at that billboard. So Rocky, I I appreciate what Michaela is talking about and thinking about these disparate audiences, all of whom can be under the same umbrella for our pack managers. Does that mean bifurcating our purpose-driven communication for different segments of that audience, even though we might have some of it that's going to go to everyone? How do you attack that? Yeah, that's a really good point, Adam. I mean, you cannot, uh, there's no silver bullet anymore for communications. People are not all reading the same things from the, the same perspective. And so you might be preparing a report for your executives at the same time as writing a newsletter piece for prospective PAC donors. And those are vastly different audiences who care about vastly different things. And so you can't just use the same copy and paste 
in each of those. From a business leader's perspective, they're certainly caring about the business impacts, the risk management, things like that. Whereas a prospective PAC contributor might be wondering what the PAC actually does. It's very likely that your level of expertise or, or the level of familiarity is going to impact how you talk to those folks. Okay, Rocky, when we think about legacy communications, you already mentioned newsletter. It's hard not to start the list with a good old fashioned newsletter. Rocky, what's your take on the way forward with PAC newsletters? Yeah, I'll try to be brief because I could probably talk about newsletters for hours long. And those who know me are sick of me talking about them. Newsletters are a funny thing. They're really, as you say, a legacy communication, something that used to be printed and posted on a bulletin board back when people went to the office and, and this is a completely different era now. This is as synonymous as using a, a typewriter to, to type your messages and a newspaper to read your news. So, you know, the digital newsletter, the email blast has really changed the venue, but a lot of people keep the same elements from that legacy traditional newsletter. That's not really how people are consuming information these days. So I like to say people will scroll and scan. If you can actually get somebody to open an email in the first place, they're going to open it, they're going to scroll through it and scan to see if there's anything that jumps out that seems important to them or something that might require them to do an action or take an action, do something. If your newsletter is not doing that, ultimately they're going to close that email and probably never open the next one. You know, I think about newsletters in, in this legacy context of like, the latest model of a car or even a yearbook. There's a huge swath of cars on the road and a lot of them are getting older, but many of them are new. So if we equate that to newsletters, you've got your old conventional styles, you've got your newfangled digital ones, and some of the ones that are following a little bit of these best practices that are gonna make use of the scan and evaluate method. But my question then, Rocky, on behalf of all of our audience is, being able to bring everything together to just show and demonstrate and prove what we were doing and the things that we were focused on and give people that sort of gut check in a newslettery way can still be important. So how do we reconcile the need for what that can accomplish in a best case scenario with these best practices? Well, the beauty of a uh, digital newsletter is that you can actually measure how effective it is. And ultimately, that's why you should do it is it's effective. So with the right newsletter tool, you can actually track who's opening an email, who's spending time reading the text, what links they're clicking, what websites they're visiting that are linked in your, in your newsletter. And so there's numerous platforms that do this. And I'd very likely guess that your communications team, your marketing team, your sales team has a platform already that they're using to reach their audiences. If you can piggyback on that, get some metrics, you can start to understand who is reading it, when they're reading it, what time of day they're reading it, and like, what is the most interesting parts of the newsletter that you might want to double down on and which ones you should stop talking about? So this kind of dovetails a little bit in, but you know, Rocky, we often get questions about, I just want to see a template newsletter. I just want to, I just want to take a template and run with it. And I know you have strong feelings about that, but can you talk about sort of the pitfalls of really relying on a template to do your communications? Yeah, you can create a template for your own organization, but you certainly shouldn't be stealing someone else's template and using that. If it's done well, communication is done tailored to that audience and that organization and the story you're trying to tell. So you really want to build your own sort of template that has the type of topics that your audiences care about. There may be some overlap and, and it's probably good to have you know certain sections in, in all of your newsletters. You don't want to recreate the wheel every time. So 
you can create branded templates within some of these newsletter tools that allow you to quickly get the information you want to. But you want to build that yourself and you want to be on brand with your company or, your, or association. But you really want to dig into the information, the stories that people in your organization care the most about. Again, that goes back to metrics, goes back to that quick hitting topics and quick hitting content that you can link to for additional information. I have personal experience, not nearly as much as either one of you, having been asked by lobbyists, what, we need to get a newsletter together. And it's sort of like, well, no one's tending this pack, right? This is one of those older legacy packs. And it's that one bit of like vegetables on the plate that no one wanted to eat, but we realized we, we can't put it in the dishwasher like that. So can somebody please find somebody to get a newsletter together? Um, most of our folks are way beyond that. They're terrific writers. And that digital component, I'm focusing on it because it really speaks to the visual nature of what you can deliver. And that content isn't always just words. And sometimes it includes some of the other content that the pack is doing, whether that's links to events that we've done or a podcast that's relevant. What's your thoughts on how you create that kind of stuff and help people figure out what they've got that's worthy of this use case? Well, certainly this all goes back to that why you're doing it, the plan of attack we talked about. A newsletter is a what. So when somebody starts with, we need a newsletter, my first question would be, why? If you're trying to influence people in a certain way, you need to understand why you're doing this thing. And so to your point, I think we all know that people are most likely to watch a video or to listen to a podcast or follow a link that might be very interesting for them to see a photo. We have data from choose your social media platform. Photos and videos get people to stop scrolling and pay attention. Words do not. So the news organizations that understand how to get people to click on their links, something like Axios, they have a thing called smart brevity. Now, I'm super jealous because they patented something that I've been doing for 20 years, which is trying to shorten things down to their basic points to see if people are more interested. If you're not interested, you can easily scroll through that and move to something else. That's the type of approach that gets people to actually pay attention to your newsletter. Short bites of information where people who are most interested can follow up and be more involved and engaged. I just checked and rockybrevity.com is available. <laughs> I don't know the boat has completely been missed yet, Mr. Krivijansky. Okay, so let's get actionable with some writing tips, Rocky. You know, what can our listeners do right now to up their writing game and better connect with their audience? Yeah, I really love this question because when I talk about my business, I don't really say I'm a strategic communications firm because people don't know what that means. I say I solve problems with communications. To me, communications are never the end goal. It's about influencing how people think, feel, and act. That's why important. Why communications are important. So to answer your question, one of the top things people can do is make sure you have a call to action in your communication. If you don't have a call to action, you haven't defined your purpose well enough, in my opinion. It all goes back to that plan of attack again. Knowing why you're doing something and what you expect your people to think, feel, or do when they read it or when they view it, is critical to success. 
Lord knows here in September 2022, there's a lot of action in political action committee, okay? You got to register. You've got to vote. You've got to know what the issues are on the ballot and hopefully better understand what are the priorities for your association or your employee funded pack or your company. So there's so many things that can fall into that call to action. Do we need to refine that anymore? How do you think about bifurcating and breaking down those action calls? Sure. And if you think about the types of emails that you personally would click on, nothing gets an email deleted faster than FYI. Those three letters are the fastest way for you to tune your audience out because you know when you look at that, that there's no action for you. I think having a true call to action in the newsletter, in the email, in your communications, front and center, bolded, underlined in some way that visually stands out, actions you need to take or for you to act on is a really important things to include in your communication so that people understand there is actually something that has to happen here and they should be reading this email to understand why they should act. You know, Michaela, it's funny because it's something that we think about just titling our episodes. We tend to, to focus on who are the humans because our audience knows so many of the people in our community and that's the draw. But what do we call the podcast? The facts about PACs. How did it become the number one PAC podcast in America? Because it is what it says it is, and it delivers on that promise. Absolutely. And I have said for many, many years, I was a communications major in college and, you know, have a little bit of a background here too, like you two. But I also find, Rocky, that writing and communications really has become a lost art. And it's something that when even with my students at George Washington University, when I find someone that is an excellent communicator, excellent writer, I tell them all the time, don't lose this ability. It's going to take you so far in life. Any parting thoughts on the future of communications? Yeah, when you find people like that, they're probably doing a couple things really well. They're probably speaking the language of their audience, which is something that I always tell my clients to, to keep in mind. They understand that people hear things in different ways than you've said them. I want to follow up here because, Michaela, what you just said boiled down to this admonition that I'd like to give as a writing tip. Good writing is original writing. We don't need to go back and see what we said before. If we have our plan of attack, we know what our purpose is, we can use fresh language. We can reconceive of a way to say what we've said before or to freshen it up, not by just going to the thesaurus and changing a few words in that paragraph, but by really originally thinking about how we want to speak and who we were speaking to and coming up with something fresh. You buy that, Rocky? I do. I think that it's possible to reuse information, but to tell a different story. And I, I really like to bifurcate between information, uh, sharing, informing someone, and communicating someone. Communicating is about persuading, about influencing how someone thinks or feels or acts. Uh, when I'm working with clients, I like to explain it this way. If you attended a baseball game last night and you're telling your friends about it the next day, you'd probably say something basic like, hey, I went to the Nats game last night. They played the Braves. They won on a crazy extra inning home run. It was one of the most amazing games I've ever been a part of. That's engaging. And if your friend is a baseball fan, they're probably going to ask more questions like, oh, who hit the home run? What inning was it in? Et cetera, et cetera. That's telling a story. That's communicating. Sharing information might be something like, so I left my house at 630 and I drove to the ballpark instead of taking the metro. Uh, the traffic was bad. So I sat in bumper bumper traffic for 30 minutes. Then I got off exit 6A. 
and I got to the Nats stadium. That's super boring. No one wants to listen to that. The most likely response you're going to get from your friend is, oh, that's too bad, which is code for why are you telling me this? And can we please talk about something else? That's such a perfect analogy. Uh, Rocky, I think we've just all gotten in 20 minutes uh, our master's in communications from you. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure to be here. I just would wrap up with three things to remember for those writing tips, a call to action in your writing, speaking the language of your audience, and making sure you're telling your story. Rocky Krivijansky, founder, Trine Strategies. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Facts About Packs today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing this podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here next week.